you can't be irreplaceable if you're just like everybody else. Right? So you, you need to really figure out what it is that make you, makes you unique and really cultivate whatever that skill is. Right? So for me, I think it's drawing connections uh, and you know, pattern recognition and then applying that uh, in the space of enterprise SaaS sales and scaling companies. But for other people um, who I work with, it's seeing, seeing deficiencies in the market and building a product around it. Or it's um, seeing, you know, like, like like seeing an inadequacy in the way that a customer is thinking about doing an implementation of a project and de-risking it massively. Welcome to 14 Minutes of SaaS, the show where you can listen to the stories and opinions of founders of the world's most remarkable SaaS scale-ups. This is the final episode of a three-part mini-series recorded at Tech Open Air in Berlin with Issyet Ferreras, ex-COO of conversational marketing software Hustle. Issyet talks about the connection between diversity and Hustle's success. He advises us on how we can become irreplaceable how we can get the best out of ourselves. He talks about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, being intentional about who one spends one's time with, and he also takes us through his daily routine and touches a little bit on machine learning. Uh, actually, interviewed the, the, the CEO of Treehouse recently, and he mentioned that um, he has this thing that uh, we need to stop looking at criminal records um, because of the race thing in the US that statistically is just off the charts. Um, and he has experienced a lot of success of going into companies and getting them to go out into the community and train people up to be in six to nine months to be coders. Uh, he's he's a, a, a really good bloke, he's done an amazing job. Do you find that there's a richness of opportunity, in the same way there is with women, we know that companies with, with, with female founders statistically do better because it's because of the way we've been building boys clubs for so many years is that is that is that is there that same rich fertile field out there to find amazing people uh, from a wider uh, uh, I suppose uh, community and racial uh, area in the United States is that a massive opportunity at the moment I believe so I mean there's less competition for them and uh, oftentimes passed over from, from for promotions when they are anywhere. So again, Hustle, where I think part of the reason that we grew as quickly as we did has to do with the, with the fact that we have the diversity that we do. So we're over 51% female, we're over 48% people of color. Um, I'm pretty positive that our level of success and how quickly we've grown our revenue is linked to uh, our hiring practices there. Um, we kind of touched on it earlier, but would you, in a nutshell, just mention uh, the, the key message in, in your talk today on Maslow hierarchy uh, and, and how people kind of move up through the levels? Um, could you tell me just the, the key message that you gave today in that, in that talk? Yeah, sure. Like basically, like a large part of what I was doing there was, was explaining how Maslow's hierarchy of need is, needs is a framework that I was able to use to... Um, to be very conscious about 
what the con needs and concerns are of somebody at any given time. So until people are getting paid a certain amount of money, it's, it's very logical to assume that they're going to be worried about things lower down in the hierarchy. And once they get paid more, they're going to be thinking, they're no longer thinking about those things. It's very logical that they're going to be thinking about the level of connection they feel with their company and uh, whether they're getting professional advancement. And after their competency and, comp and they, after they have confidence in their competency, and that's a given, then the, the chief concern starts switching to, hey, what's, um, what's the impact I'm having on the world? And once, once, you, once you get to the point where the impact you're having on the world is something that you can almost take for granted, you start thinking about, well, how can I do something that's higher level where I'm leveraging myself uh, and I'm thinking beyond just myself and my own feelings of impact? Fantastic. Um, you, you, uh, you sleep erratically. You mentioned there, Isiad. Does that mean that you don't necessarily have a daily routine, or when you're no, not traveling, do you? No, I have a I have a very strict daily routine when I'm not traveling. Yeah. Okay. Can you let us know what it is? Yeah, sure. So I I, I wake up before six a.m. I run three miles to the gym. I work out at the gym for, uh, depending on which day of the week it is, between forty-five minutes and an hour. Then I'm in the sauna for a certain period of time. I shower, and then I, I start my workday. Uh, my workday goes from whenever I start, which is usually going to be somewhere between uh, 8.30 and 9.30, uh, and then depending on what meetings I have and what I'm doing, et cetera, uh, I'm usually done with like in-office work by 5.30 or 6, and then that's when I'm having a lot of, uh, that's when I start uh, a lot of my work that's being in kind of social engagements that I think will be fertile for recruiting and meeting other people that I need to meet. Um, and. Yeah, and then my personal social time, if I'm not doing any kind of recruiting, we usually start around 8 p.m. Is there any um, personal quality that you'd like to improve, uh, something you're not, uh, that you don't feel you're great at, that you'd like to improve over the next three to four years? Yeah, so something I want to work on uh, is, so the thing that I've been working on the most uh, was uh, being very intentional about who I spend my time with. Uh, and that was a thing that I that I was able to start working on once I got good at when I wrote when I wrote something down it meant that I would absolutely get done right so I had this kind of like progression where for a while I was working on my discipline so that anything that I would write down on a to-do list got done and then once once I had that level of confidence myself I started thinking about well how can I be more intentional about spending time with people that I really care about helping and who seem to care about me as well uh, and now that that's happening, uh, it's, it's interesting. I'm just kind of like letting myself adjust for a while and kind of sink, you know, sink that, uh, like let that sink in. Um, later, uh, after that sinks in, I'll probably be working on uh, seeing if I, can, if I can have more aspects of my life working at the same time. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. Right now, I'm very engaged with just working a lot. So you really actively manage yourself and seek to improve yourself on an ongoing basis. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about Labelbox. Sure. So Labelbox, it's uh, it's an AI machine learning tools company. So awesome. when AI is a very hot thing right now, as we all know, and it's basically we've got all of all these machines uh, doing work that used to be done by humans, right? Uh, and making decisions that used to be made by humans. And it's, it turns out that when something's very detail-oriented, uh, having something that will always pay attention and always be precise is very useful, and that's what machines are good at. Well, for 
for the artificial intelligence to stay intelligent, it needs to constantly be learning, right? It needs to constantly be analyzing data. It needs its decisions need to be constantly uh, reviewed and made sure that they're doing the right things, right? And there's algorithms around that. Well, for the machines to learn, they need labeled data sets, right? Uh, and those can happen from the machine labeling some of the data, right? But to, to kick everything off and to verify things, you need humans interfacing with, you know, with this, with various sources and labeling. What Labelbox, what Labelbox does is it sits in between the humans and this data so that they can apply the labels uh, in a fast and efficient manner. And the reason why that's so important is be, is because. It's just a necessity for machine learning and AI to happen. But then the reason that our company exists is because uh, my co-founders at Labelbox, um, they, were, they were at Planet Labs and Drone Deploy and Boeing, found that they had to keep constantly building this interface as the first thing because it was a blocker every single time they kicked off a new machine learning and AI project. Right? So in other words, uh, somebody's like, hey, let's, let's solve this problem of, I don't know, counting, you know, figuring out like the tree density from the satellite image, right? Well, before you can even get to that, you'd have a team of engineers building an interface for, for people to be able to like circle all the trees or count them or something like that. And, you know, uh, the CEO, Manu, he was like, well, this is ridiculous. Like somebody should just make should make an interface that I could use every single time I go to a new company. And after waiting around long enough, he was like, I guess nobody's going to build this and took matters into his own hands. So, you know, to, to, for machine learning and deep learning subset of that to be, to be effective, you need a lot of data and it's better if it's a lot of good data too, uh, quality structured data, um, unless you've got a big uh, natural language processing play. But, um, does that mean that uh, Labelbox is an enterprise play, largely? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's an enterprise play. Like, definitely, we're we're an enterprise SaaS solution. So, B two B, we're looking at a very traditional sales model of, you know, talking to people who have as a who have as a challenge that they need to spin up a machine learning AI team. You know, typically our buyer will be like an EVP or somebody who's who's got the, as a strategic initiative and is thinking of, of ROI in terms of well, how much calendar time can I cut off of. Uh, getting this initiative stood up. So you're kind of like an API-based SaaS play, a microservice type play, uh, yeah. where you look after that interface, that 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 piece between the between the the, the humans and the algorithms. Correct. Correct. Okay. Fantastic. It's very exciting to hear about, and uh, I hope I can talk to you a little bit more after the interview, actually, because it's it's fascinating. Um, last question for you: uh, If you were to give uh, one. A uh, piece of advice to uh, an entrepreneur who, who came to you and, and said, you know, what are the one or two things I should really look out for? What are the what are the, the couple of things you might say to that individual? Uh, probably to avoid generalized advice. Uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd say that, uh, and it, it, you know, I, I say that tongue in cheek, but also very seriously. I mean, what works for me isn't going to work for anybody else, uh, and what works for them won't necessarily work for me. So I think it's about finding out where it is that they're spiky. Like, what, what exactly is it that, that is their unique skill set? Uh, that, that is their, what is it that makes sense to them from their vantage point that somebody else wouldn't quite see or understand? And just like really double and triple down on that. Right, so just, just you know, you, you can't, um, I don't know who it was, it's probably like a Marilyn Monroe quote or something, I forget who, but it was just like, you, you, can't, be, you can't be irreplaceable if you're just like everybody else, 
right? So you, you need to really figure out what it is that make you, makes you unique and really cultivate whatever that skill is, right? So for me, I think it's drawing connections uh, and you know, pattern recognition and then applying that uh, in the space of enterprise SaaS sales and scaling companies. But for other people um, who I work with, it's seeing, seeing deficiencies in the market and building a product around it. Or it's um, seeing, you know, like like seeing an inadequacy in the way that a customer is thinking about doing an implementation of a project and de-risking it massively, right? Like these are all very important things. So my my advice to any entrepreneur, any founder would be just think about what ex what exactly is it that makes you unique. You know, what, what, what is it that you see the way that other people make decisions and you just don't understand how they come to them because their decision is typically less effective than yours is and you're typically right in this specific area and just focus on that area where you're always right. It's been great speaking with you on 40 Minutes of SaaS here in Tech Open Air Berlin. Thanks a million. Cool. Thank you. Pleasure's mine. In the next episode, we'll talk to Mike Reiner, co-founder of City AI and venture partner at Open Ocean. He'll be talking about his life as founder, investor, and an experienced advisor, advising companies like Israeli-founded Verbit.ai and London-based Scoro. He compares Amsterdam and Berlin as startup hubs too. You've been listening to 14 Minutes of SaaS. Thank you to Ketsu for music provided under a Creative Commons license. This episode was brought to you by me, Stephen Cummins. If you enjoyed the podcast, please don't forget to share it with your network, subscribe to the series, and give the show a rating. Music